Welcome everyone to episode 153 of the Reds Unrestricted Podcast. I'm your host David Comerford and I'm joined by Jamie Barton and Farrell Keeling as we name our 11s for the Europa League group stage. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. So the international break will soon be over and then after the game against Wolves in the Premier League on Saturday, Liverpool are straight into Europa League action against Lask on Thursday evening. So we thought now would be a good time to discuss our lineups for the group stage because we're expecting plenty of rotation from Jurgen Klopp at that point. So before we get into it, before we get into our teams, I just want to take you through Liverpool's opponents. Obviously, the draw happened at the end at the start of September, sorry. So it pitted Liverpool first off against Lask, who finished third in the Austrian Bundesliga last season, a whopping 14 points behind Red Bull Salzburg. They've played six matches already this season and picked up 11 points, which puts them seven points behind Salzburg again, who are obviously pretty dominant in that league. Last year, they weren't in Europe at all. Um, one team who was in Europe is um, Union Sanjil was, I think is the correct way to pronounce it. I might just call them USG though for ease. Um, finished third in Belgium last year, only one point behind Antwerp. This was the title race, which you probably would have heard about where I think three teams are in contention going into the last day of the season. Obviously, they just lost out. And they're sixth in the table this year with 10 points from five games but they did get to the quarterfinals of the Europa League um, in 22-23, topping their group and then knocking out Union Berlin in the last 16. And finally, there's Toulouse, who look like potentially the weakest team in the group. They finished 13th in, in Ligue 1 last year, but won the French Cup. And I'm getting flashbacks to when Sion won the Swiss Cup and then came to Anfield and, and drew with Liverpool in one of the worst games I've ever seen at Anfield. But hopefully there's no repeat of that this year. Toulouse in a pretty similar position in the table currently, uh, 12th with five points from four matches. So Liverpool will be heavy favourites, obviously, for all of those games, but there is a balance that they have to strike because if they go too weak, then they can find themselves in trouble. They can't disrespect the opponents. And it's worth remembering that if you finish second in your Europa League group, you have to play a playoff against a team who came third in their Champions League group, and then the winner of that tie will progress to the last 16 of the Europa League. So essentially what you're playing for isn't just kind of that seeded slot for the knockout stages. You're also saving yourself a couple of extra games. And realistically, Liverpool can't afford to be not topping this group given the relative strength of the side. So we're going to run through now the teams that we want to see use most. And we'll start with our goalkeepers and back five. So we'll just get the names and then we'll we'll discuss them in a little bit more depth. So I'll come to you first, Jamie. So what's your back five? Um for the Europa League group stage? So, I'm going to cheat a little bit and I'm going to say that I want to start off strong and hopefully weaken as it goes on. But if we're talking for the first couple of games, I'm going Kelleher, Trent, Gomez, Matip, Robertson. Kelleher, Trent, Gomez, Matip, Robertson, right. And what about you, Farrell? Uh, the same, but I've actually gone for uh, Shimakas instead of Robertson. I, I, I feel that to a certain degree, I mean, you know, I think we've, we've all seen sort of this time where this has been quite sort of a, a competent sort of second choice left back, one of the most competent sort of second choice left backs in, in the league, really. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily feel too, I, I think it was, if it was a Champions League <laughs> group stage, of course, we'd be having a very different conversation. But um, I, I think we could afford to take that risk if it, even if, if it's even perceived as a risk. My, my problem with that, I think, is that 
it's not to me it's not really a left back role anymore or at least it's a much more complex left back role and I know in pre-season he was trying to play the kind of Trent on the other side role uh, kind of inverting and, and rather than kind of dropping into a back three but he really scared me in that pre-season <laughs> <laughs> honestly yeah, I mean, we had similar issues with, with Robertson, though, initially, didn't we? But there were, we had those sort of lingering concerns over can Robertson actually cut it as a third centre-back if he has to tuck in uh, when we're in possession. So I I, I, I do see your point. I, I would just, if I'm Klopp, I'd be tempted to try to see if he's capable of doing that at the Europa League level. Um, you know, if, if it completely cocks up in the first sort of group game, I think you can quickly adjust that. Do, do you know what I mean? I think you can yeah, afford to sort of take that initial risk. Yeah, yeah. So the thing I think with, with Simicast, just to focus on him first of all, is, you know, he's agreed a new contract at Liverpool uh, this week, which I think is going to take him to 2027. But if he's not going to play in the group stages of this competition, if this isn't his competition, essentially, then I don't understand, you know, when he is going to play to a degree and also what why he'd sign a new deal um, in tandem with that. I think... The consideration of the system is obviously a valid one, but my lineup reverts back to a more conventional four-three-three, which is obviously a bold step in itself because you you know you want the team to be as used to one system as possible. But I don't necessarily want Trent involved in the group stages of the competition. I think he's too important to Liverpool to be playing in these matches. We had the blow of Connor Bradley getting injured. He's out until November. I think he's going to miss most of the group stages, and this could have been an ideal opportunity for him to play had he been available. So on that basis, I've gone for Gomez at right back. Um, and then I've gone for Matip and Kwanzaa as my centre-back partnership, which is very bold. Um, and then Simakas at left back, obviously Keller are in goal, which I think is a given. Um, the reason I've gone for Kwanzaa, and I, I mean, it is a risk. I, I realise that. And he, he's made, I think, two Premier League appearances. He was on loan at Bristol Rovers, I want to say, last year. So, you know, it's a big step up for him. But my my thinking is that, you know, Canate, he's too injury prone to be playing in these games. You know, you can't put that load on him, I think. And Van Dyke as well. It just feels like you can't really put be putting him in the firing line in this competition. So ideally I would have had just that Gomez and Matip uh centre back partnership. But that injury to to Bradley is what's kind of scuffed things a little bit. So I've definitely gone for kind of the weakest lineup, I'd say, in terms of the back five. Jamie, we'll come on to midfield in a second, but why have you gone for both Trent and Robertson for those first couple of games? I mean, it does seem like, you know, clearly I see your logic in terms of getting the group, you know, wrapped up early, but it also seems like maybe a little bit of a risk to be throwing those players into those games. Depends how you look at it, doesn't it? Because actually the your lineup is is definitely how I would finish the group if everything goes to plan. Uh, and when I say finish, I probably mean four of the six, the last four games. But to me, you say it's a risk putting them in, and, and perhaps it is, but I also think it's a risk taking them out. I think we're, we've seen since Trent's come in, and obviously it's Trent, so that's different, but he is in my lineup. So how much the, the new shape has helped us, and, and I think we're kind of all on board with that. Um, changing not only personnel, but also the way you play, bringing Gomez in. We're still at that point in the season where, and look, it, I, I've been really pleased with the start. I think we all have been. But say we go to Lask and we get beat 2-0, which isn't kind of beyond the realms of possibility, particularly with, I don't know, 
I like Kwanzaa, but say he has a he has a poor game and, and he gives away a goal or something, and we and we lose kind of quite comfortably two 0 We're still at that point of the season where I think we're particularly after last season we're building up confidence, we're building up momentum, and to me that is more important than almost anything else at this point. And we can afford really to 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 lose the last to lose the first two games and probably still top the group. Let's be honest, we could we could easily win the last four. But it's all about building momentum, and so I think keeping them in just helps not only with the with the Europa League progress, but just the whole kind of feeling of the season generally. I think the feeling of last season was so important for for the fans and and the players as well, and just kind of making sure we give the, ourselves the best chance of of keeping everything going. And look, you might say we play last, Trent plays, we win three 0 but he gets injured, and so we're having the same conversation about momentum. So. It's all it's all a balancing act, but I think that gives us the best chance, really, looking even beyond the, the the Europa League of just keeping this season like very very positive the way the way that it started. Really, see, I think there's a really interesting you know discussion around this because one of the things that I think gets overlooked sometimes, and I'm guilty of this with my team selection, I fully accept that is when you make loads of changes. Yes, you know you are resting your, your key players, you're keeping them out of the firing line. But I also think, you know, this group that I've put together, I mean, Gomez and Matip um, will have the experience of playing alongside each other, um, maybe a couple of the forwards as well. But largely the team that I'm going to put out hasn't really played together. And I think that lack of understanding is probably going to lead to some quite disjointed performances. I guess what I'm banking on is the quality that is in the team, you know, that I've left in the side still being too much for the other sides. And I think another key question is how strong does Klopp make his bench? Is he saying for these games, for say the Europa League away games, going to Austria next week, not a particularly long call trip, but does he say, do you know what, Mo Salah, um, you can stay at home or Trent, you can stay at home or something like that? Or is he bringing those players with him, putting putting them on the bench and then they can come on if, you know, if we are behind to last, for example. And I think that game next week against, I mean, looking at it, it it's hard to kind of assess. It's weird because obviously the groups are done in pots, but it's hard to like look at those three teams. Maybe Toulouse is the weakest, but Lask and, and Sanjil was seem pretty similar, you'd say, in terms of level. But if Liverpool struggle in that game with what I think will probably be a, a, a weak lineup from Klopp, if I was guessing what he was going to do. If they struggle in that game, I think maybe you have to reassess. I think at this moment in time, I do kind of want to maximise the the opportunity that's afforded by getting into the Europa League and make the best of it, um, which I think is kind of using those squad players, using maybe a couple of youngsters as well, Kwanzaa being one of them. Um, before we move on to midfield, Farrell, um, I think there's an interesting discussion around Keller as well for this tournament. I mean, I put up a poll on my Twitter account the other day saying if Liverpool made it all the way to the final, would you still want Kellera to be in goal? Do you think this should just be completely his competition? Or and I know we're getting ahead of ourselves. We haven't even kicked the ball in the competition yet. But should that be Liverpool's mindset that no matter what Keller is playing in this tournament? It's a tough one, isn't it? Because he's already a cup-winning goalkeeper, isn't he? I'm, I'm, I'm to be perfectly honest with you. I kind of I posed the question on another podcast. I was kind of amazed. He hadn't been looked at as a serious option for other sort of Premier League sides. I, th- I mean, I'm, I think I'm specifically asked um, why even Tottenham hadn't gone for him with the Hugo Lloris sort of situation. They very clearly needed someone young. 
preferably some sort of Premier League experience or top flight experience. And I, I don't know, perhaps it's, you know, the, the red, red tinted sort of spectacles on, on myself, that sort of bias. But I, I, I do think he's a Premier League standard goalkeeper. He's a cup winning goalkeeper. Um, well, I, oh, whether you'd stick with him in the Europa League final, um, I suppose the problem is, is if he's justified his place by that point, you're going to find it very difficult to take him out of the lineup, and I think Jurgen might not take him out of the lineup. I don't know if that perhaps that's a bold call. Um, I, I realise plenty would be tempted to just chuck in the best keeper we have, chuck in the best, and I'm, I'm sure as we get closer towards you know the knockout stages and deeper into knockout stages, if indeed we get to that point, we will see some of these more regular starters uh, nail back their places in the starting eleven, but. I wouldn't be surprised, you know, if he kept Kelleher in the final, if he's justified his place by that point. Yeah, and obviously, you know, talking about the final and stuff, you know, Liverpool, I've not sort of checked, but I'd say at the moment would definitely be the favourites of all the teams in the competition. You know, they are the strongest side in this tournament at the moment. Obviously, the Champions League groups can change that a little bit, but, you know, I think it's fair enough for us to have those conversations. And on the Kelleher thing, I suppose it speaks to a wider issue within the squad, you know, say... Um, let's look at the lineups we've done so far. Say Gomez and Matip keep, you know, a, a good amount of clean sheets, perform pretty solidly throughout the competition, and then you get to kind of the semi-finals and you're playing, you know, a team who's dropped out the Champions League. Um, in there, do you sort of say, you know what, Gomez and Matip, you've got us here. Let's kind of keep faith in you, because you can kind of be quite demoralising for those players if they get taken out of the lineup. Then, or do you say, you know what, no, sorry, this is time to be ruthless, put in Van Dijk and Canate, um, and just you know, best possible team, you know, to to obviously progress. But um, let's move on to the midfield, um, and obviously we'll uh, we'll do it the same way as last time. So Jamie, if you go first, um, and then Farrell, if we can get your midfield after that. So I think the midfield is maybe the trickiest, especially, well, particularly because we don't really know yet exactly what Klopp's set, settled first choice midfield is. But what I've gone for is, uh, depending on fitness, of course, and availability, is by Chetich, Gravenberg and Elliot. I'm torn here um, because I think, you know, you ultimately think Grav- you know, Elliot will sort of take on that sort of right side of central midfield position. Uh I, I'm not. I'd, li- I'd like to see Gravenberg, but I think he might come. Perhaps, maybe not. I don't know after the first or sort of second group stage game, because we've got to remember he's just come into the squad. You know, you'll be training with, with everyone. I, I know he's sort of skipped out on international duty for that purpose. But I think yeah, I think it'd be Bosetic, Elliot, and I, I would say either you know Jones or Thiago. Probably, probably Jones. Thiago is an interesting one to, to factor in um, to, to to this discussion because. You know, we don't, he's still injured at the moment. It's kind of hard to see all of a sudden where Thiago's minutes come from to a degree because I think he is going to be certainly behind McAllister in the pecking order, maybe behind Gravenberch, maybe behind Jones. He was at the end of last year. So when does he play? Um, part of me thinks that he will be kind of seen as still an asset for, for bigger matches than this. And obviously, given his fitness record, I don't know if they're going to want to risk him in the Europa League, but you know, by the same token. Is this going to be his best avenue to, to play? Um, is think, an interesting one. It, it really depends on on how they line up at the back as well. Because say we we carry on with with Trent at right back at least for the first games, first couple of games or whatever, and then that means you're playing the the kind of box midfield. I don't really like Thiago as as a kind of 
eight, ten, one of the two, two more advanced midfielders. But say we've got Gomez at right back, and like you said, David, we are going back to a kind of more typical four-three-three. I have no trouble with Thiago being one of the the non the non sixes, the eights in 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 that role. So I think it really does depend on on what shape we start up with. Yeah, and also kind of what he's going to do defensive midfield wise, because we've seen couple of games this season with McAllister playing there obviously if, if he's going to try and maybe use someone like Graven Birch or Jones deeper as well you know obviously that is a, a system issue as well um, my lineup is um, I've gone actually for Endo as as uh, my defensive midfielder but that's with the caveat that if Endo is first choice in, in the Premier League then it should be Bicetic um, and I certainly have no qualms with, with Bicetic playing in this composition I just have had the feeling at the moment, just based on that Aston Villa game, when, when both of them were available, that currently McAllister is the first choice in that deeper role, but obviously that can still change. And that comes back to what you said, Jamie. We don't necessarily know what the strongest team is yet. Um, and then kind of in that left-sided eight role, I've got Graven Birch as well. Um, again, tricky because I think there's if McAllister is playing deep, there's a possibility Graven Birch is, is a starting 11 player this year. I just have this feeling given the way things went at Bayern when he wasn't really figuring much and his confidence might have been dented, that we might see him eased in in the style of some previous, you know, club signings. And and, and that from that standpoint, the group stage of the Europa League is the perfect time for him to, to bed in, really. So I've gone for Graven Birch there. And I have gone for Harvey Elliott in the other role. I think that one's pretty clear cut. Um, we've obviously all got him in our lineups. And I, I'd say that essentially... Sobersly is the first choice in that right-sided advanced eight role. And basically, Elliot is sort of directly behind him. So it makes sense to kind of put him in for, for this competition, really. Um, the one player we've not kind of touched on there is, is Curtis Jones. I mean, I suppose we could have maybe a more general discussion about him, Farrell, because, you know, where, where does he stand at the moment? We've seen, obviously, McAllister come in in the summer off the back of this great run that, Jones had at the back end of last year and now Gravenberch has come in. It kind of feels like the competition for that place has really been squeezed now. Absolutely. I, I mean, it, it, it's bad timing as well, you know, with the injury and sort of coming back uh, from the under-21 uh, championships, you know, he, he looked to be set up sort of for the new season. You know, he'd finished the last of the last sort of 10 games extremely strong in that left left side of sort of central midfield role, had a good international tournament. Um I think I think you can see the trust is there uh, with Klopp, and now he seems to be on this sort of unique sort of training reg- regimen, sort of taking into account all these sort of stress factors that he seems to be uh, susceptible to. I, I think I wouldn't. I mean, you'd rather you'd rather have the headache, wouldn't you? You'd rather have the depth there than not. Uh, as we've certainly seen uh, the last season, the last thing I want to see is is a very sort of thin sort of midfield as we as we had like last year, and sort of on its last legs. Um, so I'm 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 quite happy with this. I, I think he will get his chances. Um, in the Europa League, I think the the, pro- the problem, isn't it, with Jones, is that he does need that steady string of of games. He he can't he historically hasn't been that kind of player you can just throw in every now and then, every three games. He needs to build the rhythm. But once he does build the rhythm, my God, you've got a player there. Um, it's just a question of I, I think it, it'll be. It, I think he is he's, he's fit. Is he is back fit? Isn't he now? Yeah. So I think it, if he's thrown in in the first sort of group stage game. Great, he should get the opportunities sort of solid, solidly there, perhaps in the cups as well, and sort of earn his opportunities. If he isn't, um, I don't know, you could conceivably see a situation where you almost 
don't really see him play much until sort of the start of the next year, maybe. Um, just just simply because he just needs that consistency, doesn't he? Yeah, I agree with that. And I also think Jones and, and Graven Birch, obviously, in um, mine and Jamie's team, I look at those players within the side and think, it's almost going to become their responsibility to, to be the player that makes things happen within the lineups, just in terms of, you know, their contribution, you know, box to box, really. I think a lot of, you know, Liverpool's wider fortunes would hinge on how they play in kind of the, the lineups that we've set out. Um, and on that, let's move on to our front lines just to finish off then. So, Jamie, can we get yours first, please? So, uh, I'll surprise no one. I imagine Ben Doak is probably in all of our lineups, but I'll go with Ben Doak. Uh, I was I'm in an iron about this, but I'm going to go Jota on the left, and I'm going to go. Well, you could even do it the other way around, but I'm going to go Nunez through the middle, just because who doesn't want to see Darwin Nunez <laughs> score seven goals a game against uh, Austrian sides and yeah in the Europa League? Who who doesn't want that in their lives? And what about you, Farrell? Yeah, you know what? I'd largely agree with that. I would largely agree with that. I I think it comes down to really. The pecking order seems a bit sort of difficult to work out at the moment. We've seen sort of new as you know starts of the last couple of games. I, I thought he had a really, even though he didn't score uh, against Aston Villa, I thought he had a brilliant game in just in terms of his general pressing, his link-up play. You know, Klopp said it last year. The ticket into this team will be you know how he, the counter press and all that. And I thought he had all the elements that sort of Klopp was looking for, even if he doesn't score. So I, I was personally quite pleased. He's had a relatively solid in this national break. If Nunes is then regularly starting for you, moving forward into the league season. I do wonder whether he would also be your starting striker in, in, in the Europa League. I think that might then bring in Gappo potentially. Um, so that was a major point of concern. I'd, I'd agree. Yeah, Ben Doak, no surprises there at all, Jamie. Um, and yeah, probably Jota on, on the left. I don't know whether they would be tempted because we saw, I think it was at Callum Scanlon, we saw briefly in pre-season played as sort of a, a left winger. And I know he's traditionally a left back, uh, so a bit, a bit of a sort of wild sort of call there. But I would... Given that this will, this will be a tournament where we do see these younger players sort of come in, perhaps not starting in, in Scanlon's case, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe he is trialled sort of higher up the pitch there. Because it's, it's a, I mean, we've got several youngsters really that we, we ought to be keeping an eye on uh, beyond Scanlon and Bacetic, you know, I think Luke Chambers as well is one who seems to be very, very highly rated uh, in the academy. So, I, I'll, yeah, I'll be very excited to see how, how they all get their chances and they're thrown into the squad. So... Obviously, um, it's a little bit up in the air with the attack. Um, I think my lineup would be the exact same as yours, Jamie's. I've gone for Doak, Nunez and Jota. And I think, Farrell, you, you touched on it there. It depends on what the attack and pecking order is, but I still I still think that the front three that plays most this year, fitness dependent, is going to be Salah, Gakpo, Diaz. Um, just in terms of, I still think that's the best balance in attack. And that could change. I think... A lot of that depends on how well Nunez does, basically, because I think if Nunez can kind of make that step up, not only in terms of taking his chances, but also obviously the counter-pressing side of things, then I think it's his place in the team, really. But I, for now, I still think Gakpo will be the most common use, you know, centre-forward. So if I can put in quickly on, sorry, the, the, the balance, because I do think it's actually an interesting uh, sort of thing, because you'd argue in the new system, in the box sort of formation, I do wonder whether long term you really do look at Gakpo as being that sort of ideal solution because you you'd argue in that sort of box you don't you know you pump you're pumping Trent in the midfield you've effectively got four midfielders it's quite you know advanced at that point do you need that kind of Bobby Firmino esque role where you've got your your number nine 
well, you, you, yeah, we would be a number nine gap in that position, dropping deep to collect the ball midfield. I don't think you do. I think it actually suits Nunez's attributes far more uh, long term, you know, sort of just picking the ball where he is and just running straight at the fence rather than dropping deep. Um, I think if we were playing a 4 through 3 as we used to, then I completely agree. I think yeah, Gakpo probably is your your main man, and then suits him, his attributes more. Um, so I think just to come back also to, to Jamie's point, you know, if we do look to sort of revert to a more sort of traditional sort of four three three, I think probably Gakpo will be favoured for Europa League. Again, of course, this all depends on pecking order, and we'll, we'll see about that. Yeah, I, I take your point because you know I just think the new system has you look at it, you know, Trent in midfield, McAllister. You know, two deep line creators. You've got obviously, you know, Salpasly ahead of them, and and then the wingers as well. It feels like there is so much kind of creativity playmaking in the side that Nunez can pounce on. And I think games like the one against Aston Villa, where you are going to face a high defensive line. I mean, to have Trent kind of whipping those balls over the the top, you know, look like a prime Nunez game. So I think it will kind of depend on the opponent to a degree. I just think Gakpo was was actually really good at the back end of last season within this system. And we are, I think we're waiting a little bit for him to get going this year. I think partly based on the fact that he's, um, you know, been played in obviously a midfield role a couple of times, which isn't his best position. So I think he will have to kind of step up a little bit, but I still expect him to do that. Was there something you want to say on that, Jamie? Yeah, the, the one thing I would say is that despite my lineup, I it seems to make sense to me to have Salah and Nunez in the same team. And, and I think what we've seen best from Nunes is, is that link-up. And so having having the kind of Europa League team with, with Doak on the right instead of him, maybe, I don't know, I'm kind of second-guessing my own decisions, but maybe doesn't make as much sense to me. On a kind of related note as well, I would really like to see, even if it's just for 15 minutes at the end of one of the Europa League games, I'd love to see Salah on the right and Doak on the left. And I know it's not something that he's as I gather, done too much at youth level. But we know how we play. We we, we, we really like these kind of players cutting inside on their stronger yeah. foot. And I do wonder whether it's something they might have been working on in training. And I'd love to mm. see kind of trial that, give that a go. Yeah, because obviously, you know, Doak is a right-footed right winger, which means he plays, you know, fundamentally differently. Um, and, and staying on Doak, I'll come back to you, Jamie. I mean... Obviously, there was a lot of hype over his performance in Scotland in the 21s against Spain uh, the other day. I mean, how excited are you to see him presumably playing first-team football competitively in this competition? Because he has been included in the squad at the expense of Adrian, which feels like a big statement from Jurgen Klopp. Uh, one word, very, I think would probably suffice. No, I mean, he he he's just really exciting, isn't he? He's just fearless is probably the best word to describe him. He... he I love his, his directness with the ball. Uh, he's been kind of pretty, very good goal scoring record for, for the youth level that he was playing. I think he's, he's playing under 21s at 17 or something like that. I, I don't know. Um, and I mean, it speaks volumes, doesn't it, that they're, they're clearly serious about him. When we saw him in pre season, I was kind of, you know, when you see a player in pre season and you're like, uh, he'll be good when we see him 18 months from now or whatever. Pre-season, you didn't feel like that. You felt like they're trialing him as a first player, and and I think he obviously passed the test. Uh, he came on against Chelsea for for Salah. I think that's a huge show of confidence. I, I I didn't expect that, and I didn't necessarily agree with it at the time. But still, it's clear he has the trust. 
the only the only thing that that potentially stops him from being in the Europa League team is if we see him more and more in the Premier League. Who knows? Who knows? I'm getting ahead of myself, but very excited as you can tell. It was Liverpool's best player, I think, in our final. Darmstadt was our final one preseason game. I, I think you know he was quite easily Liverpool's best player. I would argue, you know, for some bizarre reason, we stopped feeding him the ball in about the last 20 minutes. But you could feel it sort of in the ground. You know, everyone was just so excited every time he was on the ball. He, he is just, he is very mature. I think he's, he's far, beyond, far beyond his sort of 17 years. Um, you know, I, I think, yeah, absolutely, completely agree. I think one to watch, this the one to watch this season if he can keep fit. Yeah, he's got the, the chance to be one of the best young players in this competition, really. I think just like a brilliant player to watch just because of his sort of his style where he's so ready to, to take on the man. Um, and some people have, have sort of made the observation that maybe Diaz doesn't do that as much um, as he did it initially. So to have kind of that pure 1v1 threat and hopefully he can have obviously the end product too in this competition, get his kind of first... Um, his first goal involvement for the for the club competitively, I think, um, would obviously be huge for him. And yeah, I think um, we can definitely expect to see him in the lineup. And obviously, we'll see how he links up with the attackers that he's paired with. I think it's a shame that there's no um, kind of Takumi Minamino or Di Rocarigi figure in a way because they, they would absolutely, you know, relish this competition. I think because there's this strange situation with the attack where that you've got kind of five players. Maybe you can take Salah onto his own echelon, but certainly does afford a broadly on the same level. So you're kind of playing two of them, which obviously gives you a strong a strong team. And I think looking at, at my side, certainly I'd say the attack's the strongest area. But it's just, um, it's a bit different because you don't really have kind of the the cup players um, in the attack like you do, I'd say, having um, the other areas of the team. But um, one player we haven't mentioned um, that is that was included in the main squad uh, was Bobby Clark as well. So we can expect to see him involved, maybe starting a couple of games, although perhaps not as um, one of the first choice midfielders for this composition. But yeah, I think we'll leave it there uh, for this uh, podcast, having kind of gone through each area of the team. Thanks very much, everyone, for listening. If you have enjoyed it, please do give us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. And also, if you follow the podcast, it will appear in your feed. And if you press the notification button, you get a message every time we post a new episode. And we'll be back after the game against Wolves at the weekend for our match reaction podcast. Finally, the international break is over. So we will see you then.